Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Receptive Podcast here on Game Wisdom, where we examine the art and science of games. I am, of course, Josh Placer, and we have another great cast for you this week. We're going to be discussing the upcoming or recently released early access game, Dreadlands. This is a turn-based or tactical-based strategy game, but with strong PvP elements to it. And my guest tonight is the creative director on the game, as well as the founder of Black Fox Studios. Please welcome to the cast, Peter Nielsen. Hi, very glad to be here. It is great to have you on, Peter. How is everything going? Uh, everything's going fine. We released in early access a week ago, so it's a bit stressful <laughs> uh, with with the release and all, but it's going good. Uh, we have a nice, nice game. It's... Uh, stable and fine and and uh, everything is going great all right good to hear and we certainly have a lot to discuss for our cast tonight so with this being your first time on i always like to give developers the chance to kind of talk a little bit about themselves and kind of what is your background when it comes to game development yeah so my my background is actually i'm a from the start i'm a programmer uh, I started working at uh, a Swedish company called Fat Shark about 13 years ago, and I spent 10 years there as a programmer and a code manager and, and kind of yeah, doing all kinds of programming. Uh, I programmed a lot of AI and UI and worked very closely with designers uh, and learned a lot from them. Um, and after a while at the Fat Shark, uh, Fat Shark. Uh, launched a very successful game called uh, Vermintide, which was a four-person co-op action game. And they kind of found their niche, Patchwork, really liking the co-op FPS uh, type of game, which I I do enjoy as well. But I always always wanted to do uh, a strategy turn-based kind of game, which was like my... Uh, the first kind of games I played when I was a kid, like playing uh, old XCOM and Jagged Alliance and all those kinds of games. And I really, really wanted to uh, give it a shot, like try my own uh, version of, of those kinds of games, uh, making a, a, a turn-based game for 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 people um, still having a, like a turn-based game, but it's also having an online element to it. So it's not that strictly single player experience but you you kind of share the experience with other players that that was what i felt was missing in the turn-based market Mm -hmm. Uh, so i um, decided to uh, try and see if i could start up uh, a studio of my own and and do uh, uh, that kind of a turn-based game great and one another question i like to ask some of our more international guests for my audience, who I think I have developers and contacts pretty much around the world right now, how is the state of the game industry in Stockholm? Yeah, it's pretty good. We have a kind of a lots of uh, big companies. We have the Dice and Avalanche and uh, Mojang and uh, Paradox and all those. We're, we're sitting really close to each other, uh, all kind of concentrated into one part of uh, Stockholm. And we have like walking distance to, to Dice and Avalanche and Paradox is just across the street. So um, it's a really nice, uh, nice little community with the uh, games companies. And we also, which I learned a little bit more when I, when I started my own kind of more small indie studio, that we have a very nice uh, indie um, community as well in Stockholm, which I'm, I'm glad to be a part of. 
Great. And yeah, I think I've spoken to a few of those developers too. I think I may have spoken to Parox like a few, this is like four or five years ago. So it's great to hear that things are still going well over there. So uh, with that, let's talk a little bit more about Dreadlands and kind of like your thoughts on uh, turn-based or tactical strategy design. So for the people listening to us right now who haven't heard of the game, what is kind of the pitch for Dreadlands? Yeah, the pitch is, it's a turn-based game, Skirmish, which is set in a shared world, uh, which means you will be meeting other players in between your uh, missions, and you can challenge them to a fight, or you can uh, decide to do co-op missions together with them. Uh, we had a nice pitch to the publisher, which was uh, like uh, XCOM meets Fallout. No, wait. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> XCOM meets Blood Bowl in a Fallout online world. Yeah, kind of, kind of like that. I think the pitch was. Uh, yeah. So what we what we want to do is having uh, something else, uh, like trying to build a, a shared world with uh, you have uh, other people around you. Not you don't have necessarily have to uh, play with them, but just having other play, players in the same world as you makes a big difference. I think uh, just having some some other place there to show your like progress to and, and see what they have done and talk to them and invite them. And yeah, just having people around makes it a much more uh, interesting uh, game in my opinion. And I know from the pitch and kind of the press release for Dreadlands that it is very different to have a uh, skirmish base or a tactical based strategy game that is built on PvP or multiplayer design. Because again, as my fans know, like when we talk about tactical strategy games, we can look at everything from XCOM to Descaea, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, you name it. Those titles have been traditionally single player oriented. Yes, so that's something that's uh, uh, a little bit new. I mean, there's some uh, turn based PvP games out there, so. But it's a, it's not a big genre. The, the game that I think most of when I uh, think about like turn-based PvP games is the, the Blood Bowl franchise, yeah. which is uh, quite successful. Um, I know XCOM has some multiplayer components to it, but it seems a, a little bit uh, like a, a side note to the game. Yeah. Um, but a lot of inspiration for for Dreadlands is from uh, tabletop games, uh, which you usually play against each other. Um, like smaller skirmish games like Blood Bowl, for instance, but also um, a lot of inspiration is from um, other games, workshop games as well, like Necromunda and, and Mordheim, which is a, a little bit uh, smaller scale. Like you have five to ten uh, guys on your team and you, you fight it out against another opponent. Um, so that was kind of the uh, starting point for Dreadlands to to look at what how tabletop games do pvp yeah. uh, kind of started from that yeah and when we look at when we talk a lot about like tactical strategy or kind of multiplayer games set in turn base usually the two main designs is either the you know i go you go system or we go where kind of or that kind of simultaneous turn t- yeah. and what does dreadlands do in terms of its kind of turn based uh, design yeah so since we have the tabletop uh, like starting point, we, we decided to go with, like, with the I go, you go approach. We tried a little bit different approach. We tested some where um, 
with, with us, the, 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 like the classic, I go, I take one of my characters and I move it, and then you get to move with one of yours. Um, but I, I really do enjoy like that I move my whole team. I can make all my decisions. I can position all my guys mm-hmm. to set up for, for your attack or like overwatch all my guys. If you do, uh, like I, I move and then you move, it goes, it, it doesn't get so much like you do a tactical planning for your whole like crew at once. Mm-hmm. It's more like a, uh, you, you're just thinking about one character at a time. Also, when you have a lot of turn-based games nowadays have the like initiative uh, uh, ordering, so that mm-hmm. they, they do with the highest initiative goes first, and then the next one, next one. But I, I think you you lose a, a little bit of the tactical planning. Like you plan for your whole team, and I want to move these guys over here to kind of flank, while these other guys try to draw uh, and fire over here, and I can move first. This guy move in him into the overwatch to take the first hits because I know he can take it and then I can move in and my next guy. And, and you, I think you kind of lose that aspect when you do the uh, I go, you go uh, approach. We also tried some other approaches where we had, uh, like you could select three characters from your team and, and if you, uh, and then you can move these three but not the other. Uh, if you had eight guys on the team, you can move three this turn and you can select which guys you wanted to move, but you can only have a certain amount of points. But I think ultimately we, we, we can then down to that we really enjoyed like the more classical approach where you, you move your whole team uh, and then the opponent does uh, his turn. The only thing, I think the biggest drawback with, with the, the way we have chosen to do it um, with the classical turn-based approach is that the waiting time becomes longer for the opponent. So mm-hmm. uh, we, we kind of want the game. That's one of the like core design things we have. We want the game to be uh, snappy. Like it shouldn't, once you have made a decision what you want to do, you should be able to do it in one or two mouse clicks. Yeah. And that's always been that tough sale for multiplayer and turn-based games along these lines like if you're used to more of a real time or again like you don't have to wait for the enemy to take their turn Mm -hmm. it can become very grating to kind of have to sit there and wait for the ai or for another player to make their actions like uh for myself while I did enjoy playing Civilization, I could not play that multiplayer. Like, I could not sit there and wait for like my friend to take like four to five minutes and make no. a turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, we have when you're playing it's uh, single player, you have an AI which can do uh, its moves uh, simultaneously. So as long as it's just uh, moving, all all the guys are moving at the same time. So then the the AI guy who's shooting, the, they do it in in order, but we, we kind of wanted to speed up the AI's turn. Uh, when you're playing PvP, you have a like a set time limit on how much time you have for making all your moves. Uh, right now, it's two and a half minutes, I think. Uh, but we're kind of still experimenting and, and see how player what player feels about that during the RLX period. Um, we also tried the, uh, another approach in in one of the betas where you have um, when once you can fail an action, uh, the turn went over to the other guy, just to see if we could get up, both both being a little bit more, uh, like every action matters more. Mm-hmm. So if you failed your attack, you the turn would automatically go to the other guy, unless you kind of sacrificed something to keep it in your turn. 
but you can only do that a set number of times. Um, and yeah, we kind of enjoyed that, but it ultimately it didn't really feel, it felt a, a, a little bit too punishing uh, to, to lose your, your turn. Uh, so, so we decided to skip that as well. Yeah, and that has always been like tricky in uh, tactical uh, based strategy games based on your know, party composition and party size. For everybody listening to us right now, we all remember from uh, Fraxis' take on XCOM just how big of a deal it is to get more characters and get more things or uh, expand your uh, party roster for a map. And, you know, missing one turn or having your whole party lose their turn like that, you know, mm-hmm. that can be devastating if it occurs at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah. That's what we we wanted to have a mechanic so you could, if it was like the first shot you take, you can you you have a chance to revert the uh, turnover, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So in Dreadlands, you have uh, when you start a game, you have four tactics cards, uh, which are you, you you create decks in between games, and then uh, you get four cards from your deck, uh, randomly selected from your deck, and, and you can exchange them a little bit and, and so forth. But once you're playing, you have four tactic cards. And then what we did is that you, to, in order to prevent a turnover, you could sacrifice one of your tactics cards um, if you really wanted to. But yeah, we, we tried that, but we, ultimately it didn't really work because you, the way players uh, ended up playing is that they held, held on to the tactic cards and just to, to have mm-hmm. them to sacrifice if needed. So. And that kind of lost the point with the tactics cards because we really wanted the tactic cards to be like the the oomph of the combat. Like you could turn the tide of combat by playing the right tactic card at the right time. Uh, and players were a bit afraid to use the tactics cards because they wanted to save them just in case they get a bad turnover situation. So. Yep, and the uh, hoarder hoarder syndrome is definitely real yeah, in any so. RPG or strategy game. Yeah. You want you want to save it just in case. You never know when you're going to need it. Yeah, uh, it's taken me years, but I think I've finally broken that. These days, I'm just like, you know, I will use every health potion I need right now. <laughs> I don't care. I will just uh, take them all down as quickly yeah. as I can. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, me too. Yeah, maybe this has something to do with your becoming older and realizing you don't have that much time yeah. left. You want to spend it all now just yeah, to make maybe. sure you, you get to spend it. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Before we get to talk a little bit more about some of the interesting details of Dreadlands, I mm-hmm. wanted to ask you, like, what are some of like, your favorite tactical strategy games? And uh, were you inspired by any ones that you play to kind of like begin like the foundation for Dreadlands? Yes, as I mentioned, we we had a lot of like tabletop inspiration, um, but as far as old, far as turn-based game, I mean, XCOM is always a big inspiration for for turn-based games. I, I I would imagine, but I I really enjoyed the like the old XCOM as well. That was my like first uh, turn-based experiences. Uh, so I I kind of try to. Get the same feeling that it's dangerous out there, and you know, really, the, the feeling that everything can go wrong if you're really not uh, paying attention. But I mean, times change. It's really hard to make a, a game as punishing as the like the old school turn-based games, because people just don't 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 buy that anymore. Uh, like they they will find another game if they if they their progression. Uh, 
if they feel like their progression isn't working out, they're not going to restart the game over and over again anymore, if you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I would say Giant Alliance has also been a huge inspiration for like for uh, old school turn based games, which we uh, always enjoy playing. I always wanted uh, like a, a new sequel of Giant Alliance, but they always pop up some kind of Giant Alliance uh, clone every year, but I, I haven't found anyone that's kind of filled the void of Giant Alliance. Yeah, and it is very hard, I feel, today to try and balance that kind of tactical strategy between, you know, the depth and the brutalness of, you know, like the first generation with trying to make something that's more playable and accessible today. Yeah, yeah it's really, really hard. Um, I mean, our Redlands has been on, uh, like, the first iterations was really, really brutal. Eh? But, I mean, we had to, we both we both listened to play feedback and we can't kind of, since we have a, uh, we don't have like a save. Uh, we, we we use like an out save all the time, so you can't go back and replay the same mis- mission over and over again like you can do in XCOM and everything. So it was very very brutal and very. You could have a like a bad bad game and it would more or less wipe your team and you have to restart. But you couldn't go back to the last save, so you had to like <laughs> start over. Um, and we we we've been working hard on that because that's a like a uh, feature we want to have still in the game like this is your gang you can't like uh, save load save load to to complete a mission you have to accept that you sometimes you fail a mission and you have to move on uh, but having said that we have we have like less than the brutality uh, of the defeats so to speak and that's always been very hard to balance i think even like the elisa iterations from Firaxis don't necessarily I think succeed in that regard of allowing the player to pivot or, you know, make the best of a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Because again, with games with permadeath, you lose your top six characters in a map. You yeah. might as well just end the game right there because you're yeah. going, you're never going to be able to recover that amount of time and resources spent. Yeah. 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 I agree. I always play, I have the, like the, mindset i always want to play the iron Mo- mode <laughs> iron man mode yeah. if they exist on a game and then once you kind of get one of those big defeats you you stop playing that game <laughs> yes i know except i'm defeated mm-hmm. or like with XCOM, you take that 95 percent shot and it still misses yeah. and then something then you have to resist the urge to throw something out the window when that yeah. happens <laughs> yeah yeah i agree yeah this, that's another trick one with the random uh, randomness of these these kind types of game mm. turn-based games and now getting back to dreadlands uh from mm. my time i spent playing it i think this is again like either like the day of its early access release or like a few days before i noticed mm-hmm. several unique things to the game that i wanted to discuss and i also wanted to share some of my thoughts with it as well so sure the first thing that, I, that like immediately like kind of struck me as being different is the focus and the interaction of melee in the game. Because for those of you who, for those of you listening to us right now, when we play a lot of tactical strategy games, they are either all melee with maybe like a minor focus on range of stuff like the Final Fantasy Tactics, Tactical Ogre games, or mm-hmm. they're all range with a very slight focus on melee and with dreadlands 
there is a very like major aspect of how melee interacts with range. And I was wondering, I was hoping you could kind of explain that for the people listening to us right now. Yeah, so what we kind of want to accomplish is that we uh, we want to have uh, both options. You want you should be able to make like a ranged theme gang if that's what you like, or a melee theme gang. But we want the the, the core idea is to have is like if you can initiate melee combat, uh, then you're in a pretty good position. If you allow your opponent to initiate melee combat, then you're in pretty bad position. And we also want to have like this uh, kind of like a chess game where you can, uh, if you go into melee, you get melee locked with your opponent. So if you charge in, and uh, you can kind of lock up their their best uh, ranged guy, and he he can't use his ranged weapon while he's locked in melee. Uh, so what you can do is this guy can try and escape the melee, but then you get free attack on him. So that's probably a bad idea. So what we want to do is the, like the like a chess game, like you can charge in with one of your guys, uh, push him away, and get uh, your range guy free, and then he can move away and take his shot. So you kind of want to uh, think about the, a lot about the positioning and and making sure you can free up your guys and, and all that kind of nice things. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's again like a very unique take on melee combat. Like when I played XCOM or the Fraxtail on XCOM, the big thing about XCOM 2 was that while melee was very powerful, it left your character completely exposed. So what usually ends up happening is that if you don't kill that enemy with that single melee hit, mm. they're just going to get a burst fired down by every enemy, you know, yeah. within five feet of them yeah and it was a very it kind of like it, it definitely uh, took me out of left field when all of a sudden i went to shoot a guy who was attacking my guy melee it's like no you can't do that like wait what yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we, we yeah we prevent uh, like firing into melee because it just doesn't make sense i think to fire when your guy is <laughs> fighting another guy in melee uh but we have a lot of i i we have a lot of feedback People are not really, some people are not really uh, think that's a good solution because they kind of get uh, immune to ranged attack while you're locked in melee. But um, uh, yeah, there's some, there's some things we're still looking at if we want to keep, but we're, we're talking a little bit internally about allowing um, to shoot into melee, but at a very uh, hard uh, to hit uh, mm-hmm. you say like a to hit penalty and if you miss you have a big very big chance of hitting your own guy instead so it, mm-hmm. it's a little bit the risk reward scenario that you, you probably don't want to do it unless you're very like desperate to you know, mm-hmm. to get out of this jam yeah. um, now another thing about dreadlands as we said earlier this is a pvp focused game so there's definitely a lot of like almost like more like on the persistence side in terms of like upgrading your faction, character unlocks, progression along those lines. And I only had a chance, or we only played for about like an hour or so on stream, so we didn't get a chance to really delve into it. But for the mm-hmm. people listening to us, what does, I guess, long-term progression look like in Dreadlands? Yeah, so we have the single-player like aspect of it, where you, you, you level up your gang and you get better gear and you 
you also level up your gang's fame, which unlocks unlocks more tactic cards, and uh, it also unlocks more uh, formations which you can use. Uh, but for the PvP side, we're adding uh, uh, like a rankings and the seasons. So you're gonna we we haven't really uh, nailed it down how long a season is. We're gonna try some different takes on it during the early access, but uh, the initial thought is to have like a one or two months seasons and then uh, depending on your ranking you unlock uh, certain rewards at the end of the season uh, like skins and uh, some gear perhaps which it's kind of it's not decided exactly what you're gonna unlock by the season rewards yet but we, we wanted to make it feel like it's uh, something worth uh, striving for and one thing that I noticed, and I was a little bit confused about this, mm-hmm. as you said, you can upgrade to unlock different formations. And looking yeah. at the formations, it tells you like different, like, uh, I'm not sure if they're considered classes or I guess just like their uh, ranking. Like, it was like elite, scout, uh, leader, etc. Yeah. And during our play, I was able to put characters who weren't, you know, the chosen or the designated uh, ranking in the formation. Is that, was that a bug or is that kind of like, is there like a risk reward for doing that? Uh, no, what, what we do is we have four different uh, ranks. We have the leader, elite, uh, ganger, and uh, uh, rookie, I think we call the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, formations uh, can have different uh, sets of uh, these ranks so you can have a leader two elites mm-hmm. two gangers and yeah. two uh, rookies for instance but you can always like exchange uh, taking a lower rank in a higher rank slot if you know what i mean so you yeah. could use you could use uh, like an elite slot and if you don't have an elite available if it's in the medical uh, uh, mm-hmm. center for instance you can fill it up with a, with a rookie instead just to fill the formation okay gotcha uh, yeah, so the formation is something we're still working on during the early access. They're, they're a little bit of a in a beta stage or testing stage, uh, trying different kinds of formations. But what we want to do is also encourage different play styles by using these formations. So what we will be adding during the early access is that uh, when you select the formation, you will also have a, like a passive buff, which is connected to that formation. And you will also get a specific uh, tactic card, which is also tied into ah. that formation. Mm. Uh, so that's uh, that's in the in the works right now. Okay. Upcoming feature. <laughs> now, for people listening to us right now, in the current state of the early access, you have two playable factions. I know from looking at the page that the third faction will be available probably at 1.0. For the people listening, what is kind of like the playability or like the styles of the factions in the game right now? Yeah, so we have the we have two factions in the game right now. So we have the scrappers, which are kind of like a, a crazy mechanic uh, inventors. Uh, we, we we kind of compare them to like crazy skavens. If you played Warhammer, like. They have a very big uh, like risk reward ratio. Their their tactic uh, tactics include like bomb rats, which is really powerful, but they're a little bit random when they are exploding and which targets they will run to. So they're not hundred uh, uh, percent 
you, you, you don't really know what you're getting. You, you can plan for it and you can like, you, they will always run to the closest enemy, but you have to kind of plan for which will be the closest enemy uh, if the enemy starts moving. And you can also, if you know what you're doing, you can use uh, these bomb rats that are chasing you if you're playing against the scrapper to kind of lure them back into uh, the scrapper fold. So you have to be a little bit careful. Um, and as I said, you, you don't exactly know uh, how when they're exploding, if they're exploding next turn or in the turn after that. But um, yeah, that is one example for, for the scrapper tactics. Uh, and they're a little bit more like scavenging, scrapyard uh, themed. Um, and the other faction that we have in right now is Tribekins, which it's more nature themed. So they're having uh, uh, animals fighting uh, besides them. They have bears and wolves and boars, uh, which you use to fight with. And these animals are considered a part of your gang, so they level up and, and you, you use them like a, a normal uh, fighter like any other. Any other. And they are also level up and get new skills and get uh, can use better gear as well. Uh, mostly armor in their case, but we have some uh, improvements to their uh, weapons as well, which you can uh, uh, find and unlock. Um, and they're, as I said, they are a little bit more nature themed, so they have like healing totems which they can use, and they have uh, uh, different kinds of uh, mosquitoes which they can attack with or healing uh, flies which can attach to a unit and then continue to heal them as long as they are wounded um, it's kind of like um, those kind of things uh, so they're a little bit more like it's uh, the scrapper team is a more well-rounded team all of them can fight use range weapon and use melee weapon and are pretty good in both but really not super good in any of them Tribekins is a more a little bit more special because you have the the beast which is only melee obviously, uh, so so you have a little bit more uh, like their their tank character is a big bear and he's he can take a, a lot of uh, hits and it's really tankish and the normal like uh, tribekin humans like with hunters and rangers they are more ranged focused and not super good in melee but they're kind of dependent on their animals to to protect them and keep uh, enemies away from getting too close to them um, and then we have the third action which we are we will unlock during the access actually oh. uh, in a couple in a couple of months so it will be in before release uh, and they are more big and brutish uh, and their, their their background is more like they are an escaped slaves, which kind of revolted against their former masters. Um, and they are full of uh, like gem stimulants and stuff because they were supposed to work hard in the mines. So they're really big and strong, but they also kind of, uh, it's a downside to that as well because they have some problems with their all their implant implantation implants and gem stuff and that so which you have to manage as well um but their playstyle is more they're big big and strong but a little bit slower and more also more they're they're more focused on like short to um, intermediate range not really great at super uh, at long range which the tracking hunters and rangers are um and with the uh, three factions, as we said, you have the different characters, kind of, you have the different uh, individual units that are broken down by their different uh, roles, leader, elite, etc. 
Yeah. Are there? I was looking at kind of like the page allows you buy or acquire new characters. Mm. Are the roles themselves kind of fixed in the sense that one leader for the tracker is the same as another, uh, like is the same as another leader for the tracker, or do they have some kind of differentiating elements to them? Uh, right now, when when you start out, they uh, they have the same uh, uh, same skills from the start, but as you level up, uh, you you kind of you get your skills from a pool of skills, okay. or uh, so, and you get to, every time you level up, you get to pull like two skills from the pool, and you can select one of them. Okay. So the builds will be different. Uh, we don't have like a fixed talent tree, so you know that every every leader will be the same at the start, but every leader will most certainly most likely not be the same at like level five or level ten. Uh, they will kind of take a different path. Uh, so to speak, uh, but yeah, the starting stats are the same for uh, like a tribe team leader and uh, another tribe team leader. Okay, and in with the I guess with the game being in early access right now, are there any plans to add in uh, new characters or roles for the factions in the coming months or even past 1.0? Yeah, we're, t- we're talking right now about adding a new. Uh, role to to both uh, scrapper and tribe kings uh, i don't know like time wise when we will do that but th- what we have discussed is to have a more uh, clear uh, support character like a uh, more like a uh, yeah support classics uh, is what we're looking for uh, and that's kind of something we feel is missing a little bit from the teams like a, a very uh, clear support character now, uh, with the other aspects of Dreadlands, one thing that I was looking at is that, as you said earlier, you have kind of like your uh, gang level or your gang progression system. And mm-hmm. with well, while we were playing the game, we noticed that as you send your characters out on missions, there's a lot of persistence in terms of you know ammo use, armor being destroyed, health, things like that, as well as various kinds of currency. Yeah. For people listening, what kind of like, how does your resource system work? Yeah, so what we have is we have four different uh, currencies in the game. We have the credits, which you buy stuff for, uh, and you have the scrap metal, which you can find, you can either find it in missions, uh, or you can buy them from some traders. Uh, they're not that common. Or you can use excess uh, items that you have found and salvage them for scrap uh, uh, metals. And scrap metals are used for uh, repairing armor and repairing jammed weapons and also used for uh, constructing things uh, like you can right now you can construct ammo with, with scrap metals. You don't have to buy new ammo. Uh, you can construct them yourself if you have an excess of scrap metal. Um, and the next currency we have is medical supplies which is used for healing wounded characters. Uh, they're also find, found in the in the missions. Uh, you can find small medical supply boxes where you can find the medical supplies and bandages and, and uh, little other stuff. So medical supplies are used for when you get injuries. Some injuries you can heal uh, straight up. It just costs uh, X amount of uh, medical supplies and then they're fine if you, get, if you have a light wound. If you don't heal them up, in between fights because you have you don't have medical supplies enough for to heal all your gang gangers. Uh, then the next time they get the light when they get uh, it's converted into a more 
uh, lasting injury, and then you have to put them in the sick bay, and they are, they're going to have to miss a couple of missions, and it's going to cost you more medical supplies. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a little bit of a balancing act on which characters are worthy of your medical supplies, so to speak. And for people listening, is there any kind of like permadeath or you know long-term punishment for characters running out of health? Yeah. So what? The injury system in this iteration that we have right now for early access uh, uh, is that if you don't take care of your fighters, if you let them uh, fight even though they have injuries, either because you don't uh, think he's a worthy enough fighter of your medical supplies or or if you're forced to use this character even if you don't really want to because you don't have any options, uh, so then they can get... Uh, permanent traumas we call them which is uh, uh, like uh, you can have a, both a positive and a negative aspect of, of it Be, uh, like I think an example is uh, I don't remember the name of it now but he's, uh, he's kind of paranoid so he's he's moving slower because he's, he's, he's gotten so many hits or injuries so he's moving slower and he's very cautious but he, uh, on the other side he's very he's gotten a, a slight uh, bonus to to range his range skills, so he's better at shooting as well. Um, but you also, if you take it this far, like you, if you don't take care of injuries, you, you get as far as you have a chance to get these traumas. You also have a chance to get him uh, uh, like a permanent death for him. But it's also, it's it's not like the first iteration of the injury system I had. Then it was more like after a fight, if you had. Uh, received an injury we kind of roll on our injury table and see what the injury it is and it was a chance you could die so it was a, a little bit harsher and we had a lot of feedback from uh, our beta players that they wasn't really enjoying the experience where when it was uh, random if you if, uh, your fighter died after the mission or not um, so we kind of we, we're trying different stuff all the time during our access but this current iteration is more in the player's hands. So if you are, if you really like one of your characters, you can like prioritize him and make sure he's always uh, given the medical supplies, so he doesn't get uh, lasting injuries and stuff. And for people listening, I also want to clarify with you that, as we said, Dreadlands is about there is the PvP aspect, but it is not a forced PvP, correct? No, it's not forced. Um, so, so you can either queue up for PvP in the uh, in your home, or you can queue up for PvP anywhere, actually. Uh, or you can, if you meet someone on the world map when traveling, you can challenge them to a fight as well. But it's not forced upon you. Uh, we, we're kind of toying with the idea of having uh, PvP flags for certain missions. So you have a like a delivery missions to another settlement, and during this uh, mission, you are flagged for PvP, so then anyone uh, can attack you, and you can't. Uh, you you don't have an option to escape. Uh, but that's still on like the our ideas list of cool things to implement. All right. And from what I was playing the game, I did have some like little issues with like the general like UI and playability, and mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, one of them was kind of being able to like quickly uh, attach like gear to characters, quickly uh, reapply ammo. Are there any like are you guys looking at doing more in terms of I guess quality of life features or updating the UI through early access? 
Yeah, that's. I mean, we have a lot of uh, things we want to improve. Uh, UI being one of them, of course. Um, and then it all comes down to like prioritizing what is most uh, important to to the game and to the players playing the game. I would say. I mean, we we have a pretty strong community, uh, and we have a lot of people that's very active on our Discord channel, and we get a lot of great feedback from them. So we try to listen to the issues that they have most uh, mm-hmm. issues they they have most problems with, and trying to see what we can do. Um, but I just uh, I know I think we are pretty fine with uh, like and you what was the issue you were thinking of like you have a hard time reloading or like um, after the mission it didn't seem like there was an easy way to just quickly say you know give everybody oh, right. reload right, right, right. or right, heal right, right. or things like that yeah yeah that's something we're gonna be looking at uh, the thing why I think the the hard part there is kind of to, if you do like a reload all button, maybe someone has just shot one shot. Should he as well reload or do you just reload if you have spent more than half your bullets? Or it's all, all these smaller kind of questions that, that kind of creep up as well. Because once you reload, you use one one of your ammo resources, even if you uh, only spent, shot one of your uh, ammo. Uh, but yeah, we both both for the ammo and for like the repair interface in the workshop we want to use like a, you can have a repair all button so you don't have to go into manual to every fighter and repair his armor and then repair his broken gun and that mm-hmm. you can just have a repair all button and it will cost you 25 scrap metal or something so you don't have to be like tedious go go through all your fighters uh, and see which ones needs repairing and uh, speaking about the resources, right now as you play the game, you get your resources by completing the missions. Uh, will there be like any kind of like I guess passive collection? Like will like the base building or like gang management system get like any like extra mechanics or elements to them? Yeah, what we discussed internally with the base management, what we want to do is have like passive missions which you can can if you have uh, if you start piling up fighters you have more fighters than you uh, which are alive or like well right now than you can use in a mission you can send some of them out on passive missions to collect uh, uh, resources instead okay. uh, so that's one of the things we're, we're, we're talking about mm. to add. now uh, and also if you sorry to interrupt also if you have a uh, like if you have uh, gang members that have gotten uh, lots of permanent injuries so really don't feel like they're so valuable anymore so instead of just retiring them you can kind of keep them in your gang and just use them for passive missions or, or that kind of stuff okay now one thing that i wanted to clarify for people listening and i also want to ask you about this as we've said with how the campaigns work you choose your faction at the start and that's kind of like you know your chosen class your chosen group will yeah. there ever be or has there has there been any thoughts about allowing for cross-faction uh, groups in the game all right um good question um we haven't really thought about that in that sense um what we have is like each of the factions have their own campaign as well so when you play the, the scrappers, for instance, the, the scrapper campaign is 10 chapters long, so you play through that. 
Um, if you choose to play the Triokins, you get a whole other set of uh, campaign missions uh, for the first 10 chapters. And I'm not really sure how to do like a mixed, what, what kind of, we, we have a, something that we added, which is not uh, completely done yet, which is kind of touching on this subject. It's that we have the hired guns, which could be like renegades from other factions and stuff. Uh, but we haven't really thought about like, like a pure cross faction faction, so to speak. Okay. But that that's yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> thought. There was like a, when I, I used to play Blood Bowl before there was I remember there was a team I think they were called like Mongrel Horde or something like that. And their their like special ability was that they could pick from uh, races that usually couldn't play together. Uh, which could be like a really interesting combinations, but then they have like a lots of penalties as well because they didn't really like each other. So Something like that would be interesting to to try, I think. But I'm not sure how to actually implement it just with the, the different gang factions. Maybe if you choose like a base faction, like the Crappers, but then you kind of take in Renegade Tribe Kings as well or something like that. Yeah, yeah interesting. Yeah, but again, like for these kinds of systems, there's always things or uh, there's always ways you can expand and add to them. Given your know, popularity and the time, it's always just trying to know just how much you can really add on before you may you know end up breaking or completely destroying some elements of your mechanics. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed like adding like new types of mechanics. Like we talked for, we have a lot of plans for for more factions in the future, and we want to. You always want to find like a unique twist on them, like these these. Tribe Kings and Scrappers that we have now are kind of like the base factions. Like they, they play a different, they have different tactic cards, but they're kind of similar. We, we really want to find something that's like for our fourth faction, have something. They, even, even for us, Garbex is going to be pretty different, I would say, in their play style. Um, but even the fourth faction, which we're talking about, would be a lot more like reliant on stealth and stealth mechanics. So really finding something. Uh, unique about factions. I think it's really fun and trying to find unique gameplay elements. And with this stealthy kind of faction, we also talked about it's still just like internal talk about how, how they could work. But one mechanic that we we like, which would be really fun to implement, um, is that they can because they sneak in stealthy, they can kind of sneak peek on their opponent's tactic cards to know what they have for tactic cards and stuff. But I'm not entirely sure how, how to make that work, but that's uh, one of the ideas we're working with to see if we could do something with. Great. And I think with that, I have a few, I guess, general wrap-up questions for you. But before we get to them, are there any aspects of the design of Dreadlands that we haven't touched on that you'd like to bring up? Yeah, well, we have not that it's in the game right now, but we're adding the, the co-op feature uh, during our access. I think that's going to be in a month or two or something like that. Uh, and I think that will be something that will really also kind of elevate the game because then you can also, the way we want to implement co-op, co-op is that you, you do your turns simultaneous with your like co-op friends so you don't get three teams. Like I go, then you go, then the AI go. Like we, we are going at the, you, if we play together, we go at the same time. 
and we get half a team each. Okay. So and we, we, we kind of have to cooperate a little bit to make sure we're, we're targeting the right uh, targets and stuff. And I think that's going to be a really cool aspect uh, as well. Um, other than that, that, that we, uh, I think we touched up pretty much any, all, all the things that I can think of right now. Uh, one thing that just uh, came to my mind, we didn't touch on the actual like weapons and gear in the game. Are yeah. you going for kind of like set gear or will there be any kind of random or procedural generation in terms of the equipment that appears in the game? Yeah, so we have uh, like a every for for weapons for instance, we have uh, like a, a base version of the weapon uh, and they have a set of traits. Uh, for instance, if you have a, a spit gun, which is kind of a uh, automatic weapon. They have a burst trait, which makes makes them shoot three times instead of one. But you uh, you you can't you you can't use the aim action with them. Um, so that's like a, a base weapon. And then we have uh, the rare version and the elite version of that game. And a rare version uh, is the same weapon, but you have uh, like an extra trait on it, like a rare trait. Okay. And that trait is uh, randomly picked from a from a pool which this weapon can use and the same with uh, if you have an elite weapon then you have a, a rare uh, and an elite trait and then we're going to have the legendary weapons which is going to have either another one so you can have uh, a combination of traits on, on the weapons so you, you, the kind of procedure you generate but on a lighter scale so to speak uh, All right. but but the, like the base stats of the weapon will be the same if the if the trait which it gets uh, some traits increase the damage for instance so then you get a, a more damaging weapon if you have the brutal trait for instance. I think with that I just have a few general wrap up questions for you and then we will end things for this cast. And okay. if you or anyone else from uh, Fat Shark or um, your company it would be interesting coming back on the future we can certainly do a follow-up cast to talk more about dreadlands or another game probably like later on yeah that would be awesome all right so uh with that uh to begin to wrap things up for our cast as we said dreadlands came out on early access about a week ago i think maybe actually a week uh, i think almost a week exactly from when we were recording. yeah exactly exactly a week yeah. for people listening how long are you planning on staying in early access? Yeah, so the plan is to stay for uh, five to seven months. It kind of depends on uh, uh, all the feedback we get and what we want to focus on. We have a, a roadmap set up in uh, our Steam page, uh, which feature we want to add. Uh, and I think we have like seven major features uh, which we want to implement during the early access. Um, so, yeah, we're expecting between five to seven, eight months, depending on how much uh, time it takes and how much uh, feedback we get from players as well, of course. Um, yeah, that's the plan. All right. And right now it is currently available on Steam. Are you planning on going to any other platforms? Uh, not at the moment. We, we, you're focusing very hard on like the early access on Steam. I think once we get closer to release, we will maybe look into going on other uh, PC platforms uh, like Epic and Google Games, perhaps. Uh, I think it's a bigger step for us to take it to console, uh, mm -hmm. both in in terms of like technical issues, but uh, 
but also in the way the game plays. I think a, a turn-based game on console is uh, uh, quite different than playing a turn-based game on a PC. So there's a lot of like UI and control stuff to, to make sure it is working as, as smoothly as you want it to be. So, but yeah, to, to summarize, I, I think we, we're aiming for uh, Steam, Access Steam, and then after release, we'll see which, uh, which which other platforms we can take it to. Great. And I think that is just about all, or I'm just about out of questions. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that is popping up. I guess here's one kind of random question for you. Mm-hmm. I was wa- reading like reviews in the forum, and I also noticed this as well, that there are some similarities to, I think, a game Fash Art did a few years ago. I think this was like, well, a long time ago, Crater. Was that yeah. an inspiration or anything for Dreadlands? Yeah, so Creator is a, a game fact did, I think it was 2012, which I was a part of. And I really, really enjoyed that, that game and the setting of the game. And Dreadlands is very much uh, inspired, or it's actually in the same kind of universe as Creator. Uh, so they, they share in the same world and the kind of same uh, art style as Creator. And... Uh, so yeah, they have a lot in in common. So it's it's not a sequel to Crater, or it's not even in the, like the same part of the world as Crater, but it's set in the same like uh, universe as Crater. Great. So with that, my final question for you then is: you have anything you'd like to say to the fans or to wrap up the cast with? Yeah, I, I was really fun to be here and talking to you and discussing uh, game design. Um, and I really hope you enjoyed listening to us and also that you really uh, try out Redlines. I think it's a, a really good game. Awesome. Of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yep. And I'll, I'm going to try to get a video up on the game soon. I'm definitely curious to see how the game pans out. Because, again, we really don't see kind of like this PvP focus on the tactical strategy genre. So... Definitely the best of luck uh, to you and to the rest of your team. Thank you very much. All right. And with that said, we're going to end things for this week's cast. Be sure to check out Dreadlands on Steam. And if you are a developer working on an upcoming game or want to talk about game design, we are always looking for guests for our live and recorded shows. You can follow me on Twitter at GWBicer, and we have our Patreon at patreon.com slash GWBicer where your support can help to keep things going. For you, Peter, are there any uh, social media you'd like to plug before I let you go? Yeah, sure. Uh, we have the playdreadlands.com and playdreadlands at uh, Twitter, which you can definitely check out. Uh, we also have a Discord server, which is uh, full of um, Dreadlands-interested people with lots of great uh, questions and feedback. So if you're interested in Dreadlets but hesitant to or kind of want to know more about the, the game before buying, you could, you could definitely check out our Discord server, which you can find at playdreadlands.com. I'll link to it. All right. And we also have the Game Wisdom Discord open to everyone. If you like talking about game design or hanging out, be sure to check that. There should be a link to that in the description down below. But... That is going to do it for this week's cast. Compact for daily discussions on game design here and on game wisdom, where we some of the art and science of games. And check back next week for another episode of the Perceptive Podcast, where we discuss the art and design of video games. Until then, have a great night. <laughs>